Romans chapter number 5 in one hand and, Rome, and Philippians chapter 4 in the other. Are you there? Alright, uh, today we're going to talk about the peace with God versus the peace of God. And I think you know why. Um, and actually I'm going to tell you so you can start praying about it as well. This coming Thursday, what we're going to be talking about as well. So remember when the great host of heaven appeared to the shepherds? They said, um, they said to the shepherd, peace on earth and goodwill to men. So today, we're going to be talking about the first part of it, which is peace. And then this coming Thursday, what the will of God is for us. All right? So um, let's go to the Lord in prayer first. Let's pray. Father, like uh, we ask earlier, dear God, we pray that you would please remove all the distractions in our hearts and minds and that we would just um, stand in awe of thy word. And we know that heaven and earth shall pass away, but thy word shall not pass away, dear God. And so we ask you, Father, that you would just feed us and help us to enjoy the feast in your words, Father. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right. You guys have a good week? Yes. Amen. All right. Let's, uh, let's go to our review from last week. It's, it won't be complete if we don't have our review, amen? Number one, blank is often misunderstood and mis- misinterpreted that God shows who will be saved and who will be lost. Predestination. Where in the Bible do you find that God shows who is saved and who is lost? Nowhere. Now, time out. God does know because God is all-knowing. Amen. But he's, even if he knows, he still gave us a choice. Amen. So, um, praise God for that. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Number three, the people that God predestined are people that are blank, blank. In Him or in Christ. It didn't say just regular people, just in general. It didn't say God chose people in general to be either saved or to be lost, it says that he chose that everyone that is in him, right? Us right now, the church, which is the body of Christ, are predestined to go somewhere. He has a pre-planned destination for people that are in him, which leads us to number four. The pre-planned destination of people that are in Christ is heaven. Amen. That sounds exciting. Um, But since we cannot operate in the heavenlies in this body, in our fleshly bodies, we are predestined to the blank, which is the redemption of our bodies. Starts with an A, ends with adoption. (laughs) Starts with an A, ends with adoption. So it's the adoption. Oh man, good. Good thing you guys were listening. All right, so it's the adoption. And so a lot of people don't know what the word adoption is, but Romans 8.23 actually defines it for us. Now, one rule of Bible study is that if the Bible already gives a definition for it, then you don't need to go 
to other sources. As a matter of fact, because the Bible is a living book, praise God, it has what you call a built-in dictionary. It has what you call a built-in translator. Remember in one time when, when uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ was on the cross of Calvary, He says in the night hour, He cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Well, just by that itself, we don't know what that means. But then the Bible activates its built-in dictionary or translator, which, is, which says, which is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So praise God for the built-in dictionary. Now, um, that's our review from last week. This week, we're talking about the great, uh, peace with God versus peace of God. So, Romans chapter number 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. All right? And then, on, on the other hand, Romans 4, verse 6 to 7 um, I know it says Roman four, uh, Philippians 4, verse, six, verse 7, sorry, but I included verse 6 for context sake. Be careful for nothing. All right? Be, don't have full of care um, for a lot of things, meaning don't be worried about a lot of things. Um, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace, what's that next word? Of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, I don't know if you've noticed it yet, but Brother Francis is a literalist. Meaning, we take the Bible literally unless the context itself declares that it's impossible to, to take it literally. A lot, uh, one of the people that I was teaching before, he said, well, the words really don't matter. It's what God means that matter. Have you heard that before? And then I told him, well, by all means, please tell me what you mean without using any words. <laughs> That's impossible. Jesus Christ himself says, all the words are important. Man shall not live by bread alone, Mark four, uh, Matthew 4.4 4 and Luke 4.4, 4, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. So every word is important. And if every word is important, so are little words like prepositions. The word with, in peace with God, and the word of, in peace of God, are little words. They are prepositions, but they are also so important. All right? So let's talk about peace with God first. First thing, we only get peace with God after we get saved. So I don't know if, you, if people understand the gravity of this, but did you know that before, oh, well, before that, just like we read earlier, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus, through our Lord Jesus Christ. So because we were justified, then, then we got peace with God. And it's only through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, like I said, I don't know if people understand the gravity of this. But before anyone gets saved, before we got saved, before you and I got saved, we are considered enemies. 
And that's hard to accept and that's hard to understand, but that's what the Bible says. In Colossians chapter number 1, verse 20, it says, And having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself, by Him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, watch it, watch this. And you that were sometime alienated and what? Enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. So it's a hard thing for modern society to accept because everyone these days were taught from, from, from childhood all the way up that we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. But before salvation, we're considered enemies. And that's why we have to do something. Or that's why God did something about it. Amen. And now, we studied this term before, propitiation, right? Propitiation means that God did something as payment to appease the wrath of God. So it took the blood, which what, what is that payment? It took the blood of Christ to appease God's wrath for His enemies. Look at Romans chapter 3, verse 24 to 25a. Because I'm just going to read the first half of 25. Being justified, praise God for that word, freely. Did you have to work for it? Did you have to pay for it? No. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God had set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood. Now, the world right now celebrates what happened in this picture right here. This is what the world celebrates. But little did the world understand that the reason this happened is because the blood of that cute little baby has to be payment for something. Amen. It's easy to celebrate the festivities and, and, and the, uh, you know, the wonderful family gathering. But you know what? The reality is all that happened because the blood of that baby in the manger had to be shed, had to be a payment for something to appease God's wrath. Because we were enemies. Because God saw us, looked at us and said, these guys are my enemies. But I don't want them to be enemies. I have something has to appease my wrath. And that's the blood of that baby in the manger. That's what you call propitiation. Payment to appease wrath. And then we also study justification. Because we were forgiven and declared righteous, we are no longer whew, enemies. Contrary to popular belief, justification is not just forgiveness. Justification is not just being declared righteous. Justification has two sides. Number one is forgiveness and being declared righteous. Forgiveness takes care of all the sins that, you're going to, that you did in the past. Being declared righteous takes care of all the sins that you're doing now and you're going to do in the future. Amen. So, we were enemies. God needed payment for His appeasement or for, to, to appease His wrath. And when that happened and when we believed 
in the Lord Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, we were forgiven and we were declared righteous. That means we were justified. Romans 5, verse 9 to 10. Much more than being, I like that word, now, justified. You don't have to wait. Being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through Him, from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. So we are forgiven our sins, past, present, and future, because we were also declared righteous, then we are no longer enemies. This only happens once you get saved. Amen. You... I've heard so many people, I've read so many people in their deathbed, people would say, it's time for you to make peace with your creator. Have you heard that before? That cannot happen unless you trust in that death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And then we also studied this, reconciliation. Oh, well, we haven't yet, actually. That's one of our plans. Reconciliation. Reconciliation. Because we are no longer enemies, God reconciled us to him. 2 Corinthians verse five, uh, chapter 5, verse 16 to 17. We know verse 17 a lot, actually. But actually, we're going to start from 16 all the way to 21. Let's start. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh. Pay attention. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh. Yet now henceforth know we him no more. Did you get that? It is easy. That's why the world right now, whether they're saved or unsaved, they celebrate this picture here. Christ after the flesh. When Christ was in the flesh, people, it's easy for people to understand. It's easy for people to celebrate that. But when you start telling them Christ crucified and now he is the glorified head of the body, then that's hard for them to understand. We know Christ after the flesh, but now, yet now, henceforth, know we him no more because now he is the glorified head of the body. Therefore, if any man be, remember, we talked about this yesterday, in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Verse 18. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself. <laughs> who, did the, who did the work to reconcile us to God? He did the work. We did not do anything to reconcile us to God, to our, ourselves to God. You know, in Holy Week in the Philippines... People still, quite li- uh, not quite, but really literally still crucify themselves to crosses. They would march from somewhere, from one point to a hill. And while they're doing that, they would scourge themselves. I, I remember, I don't know if I told you this, but as a little boy, we would run around and just plan on, plan on putting our squirt, or, or filling our squirt guns with lemon juice or alcohol just so when those guys who are scourging themselves would march through our house, we would try to squirt them with alcohol. And that's going to stink. <laughs> we were just being little boys, I guess. That's going to sting. But quite literally, to this day, people still uh, crucify themselves to the cross. And you can, 
well, I discourage you from Googling it because it's nasty. It's just really bloody. But we cannot do any work to reconcile ourselves to God because God did all the work. He reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ and had given to us the ministry of reconciliation. What is that? To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and had committed unto us the the word of reconciliation. So God did all the work to reconcile us to Himself because we are no longer His enemies once we... Before we trust in His death, burial, and resurrection, we are enemies. But once we trust in His death, burial, and resurrection, we got saved. We were declared righteous. We were justified. And then God says, now I have reconciled you to myself. Um, By the way, let me make a side note here. Do you see that? The ministry of reconciliation. You see that up there? Now, I praise God for all that are, everyone that's here, whether you're part of the leadership or not. But I, know, I think, I believe that all of us, when we look for a church or when, before we look for a church, we look for something in this way. Is there a ministry for me in that church? Have you heard that before? Well, can I tell you something? Can I submit to you something? All of us, whether pastor or leader or, 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 not, or just a member, by the way, I hate saying just a member because we're all equally important in this church. Amen. But that's how people think right now. You know, all of us have a ministry and that's the ministry of reconciliation. We were, can you imagine, can you imagine how wonderful the peace with God is? Having peace with God. We were enemies before we got saved. Then we got saved. Then we got our, our sins, past, present, and future have been taken care of. And then He reconciled us to Him. This all happened in just that moment when we got saved. Not only that, I, should, I was thinking about, I should, I, should, uh, I should have entitled this message a different way. From enemies to ambassadors. Whew, look at this. Now that we have peace with God, we are ambassadors in our ministry is the ministry of reconciliation. Continuing that verse, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead. Be ye reconciled to God. We are ambassadors. Not just the pastor. Oh, this doesn't work, does it? <laughs> Not just the pastor, amen. You and I were ambassadors for Christ. And, and remember a couple of weeks back when we talked about the order of, of salvation, we passed out uh, like an outline that you could use when sharing God's word. Here, this verse explains a lot about how our attitude is supposed to be when we're, when we're witnessing, when we're sharing the gospel to other people. Now, I'll confess, I'll be the first to confess, because I like to read history and I saw how people, you know, great men of God were like so powerful and they, you know, they think they can just march into somebody's house and say, you need to be saved. You know, all powerful. And some people, uh, I heard a preacher say once, one thing, he said, and I quote him, wanting to with the attitude of charging hell with a squirt gun. <laughs> but look at the attitude over here of ambassadors. 
As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. You know what beseeching means? It's like begging, but with more intensity. It's like God is saying, hey, I beseech you. I beseech you, be reconciled. We pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. Why? For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. One of the perks of my job is that I like, I mean, when I travel, I'm like a little, you know, my attention span, I guess, is just too short that whenever I'm driving down the road and then all of a sudden there's a, there's a billboard in the side that says, Ostrich Farm. I'm like, ooh, I need to see that. <laughs> or uh, when I was in Nebraska one time, the biggest marble, museum of the biggest marble in the world or the biggest chair in the world. Ooh, I got to see that. One time I was traveling in San Jose in California and the Winchester house is over there. Um, if you don't know what the, Winchester, uh, what the name Winchester is, it's uh, a manufacturer of uh, um, repeating rifles. And so please don't misunderstand me about when I, say, when I tell you this story. Um, matter of fact, I do like Winchesters. So I'm not trying to say anything about weapons or guns or about when I say this, this story. But please bear with me. Um, and this is from the History of Winchester Firearms by Dean Borman. It says, Thousands of people each year visit the Winchester Mansion in San Jose, California. This massive structure was built by Sarah Winchester, the, wid the widow of the gun company owner. For 38 years, from 1884 until her death in 1922, the house was under constant construction. Teams of carpenters, masons, and other workers were employed around the clock. Various stories have been told about the reason for this unusual practice. Most center on Mrs. Winchester's belief that she either was haunted or would be haunted by the ghosts of those killed by her husband's weapons unless she kept building her house. Others claim that she thought she would not die as long she as long as building continued. So when I toured the facility, there was quite literally stairs that led to nowhere, doors that led to nowhere. And then I asked, you know, we, we were taking the tour. We asked the tour guide, why did she keep on building? And this was, her, it was his exact answer. She, he said, he, uh, Sarah Winchester felt that, you know, the ghosts were hunting her. The ghosts that, the guns that her husband made were hunting her. In that mansion, there was a room with a huge safe. And nobody was able to open that at, until after a few years after Sarah Winchester's death. And it says that in that safe was her greatest possession. Somebody finally was able to open it after a few years after she died. And you know what was inside that huge safe? A lock of her son's hair and a lock of her husband's hair. I, I guess that disappointed people who were trying to open it. But can I tell you something? You know why she was building and building and building and building and building and all that? I, can I submit that maybe she just needed peace with God? And you cannot get peace with God unless you get saved. 
You cannot get peace with God until you understand that your sins, past, present, and future has been, uh, are, 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 has been forgiven and you're, you've been declared righteous. Peace with God can only be gotten, can only be received after you get saved. Let's go to number two. Peace with, peace of God. You know, the peace of God is the fruit of the Spirit. You still there? Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 to 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. There it is, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. I'm being tempted to, to chase a rabbit trail here, but we don't have time. So I'm going to go to point number one under that. What's the office opposite of peace? People, people might think, oh, it's war. You know, in the Bible, the opposite of peace is not always war. It can also be worry or confusion. And that's why sometimes when you are making a decision, sometimes you would say, oh, I don't have peace about it yet. Or, hey, now I have the peace. I have peace about it. Now let's do it. Because maybe you have worry or confusion in your heart before that happened. Look at the verses. We read this earlier. Be careful for nothing. Philippians 4, 6-7. That means in their heart they were worrying. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, sometimes you don't understand. shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Look at 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33. For God is, oops, sorry. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all churches of the saints. So, so the opposite of peace is not always war. It can also be worry and confusion. I guess you can allegorically say that you're having war within yourself, your heart and your mind and something like that. But because of that, that once we get saved, we have the peace of God, peace with God. We have peace with God. But not only that, God gives us His peace as a fruit of the Spirit. And we need to let this peace of God rule in our hearts. Colossians 3, verse 15 to 16. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. To the which also you are called in one body. Now, let's take just this clause over here, the first one. The one in red. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Now, I know some clauses can have subjects and predicates. Some don't. But let's say, let's just take it and... And use it as a sentence, say, for example. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Can you tell me what the subject of that sentence is? It's an understood you. Right? Say, for example, when I say, hey, come in. What's the subject of that, of that sentence? It's a silent, it's an absent, but understood you. You, come in. So who did the work so we can have peace with God? God did all that work. And you know what? The peace of God is a fruit of the Spirit. And it's supposed to be within us. It's our job 
For you know, you know why it does not manifest in our lives because we are not letting it rule in our hearts. It's our job to let the peace of God to rule in our hearts. Amen. And how this is actually number number three. This can only happen if we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly and by listening to teaching and admonition and also good, godly fellowship. Let's continue in that verse. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. How can we do that? Look at the next verse. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Now, a lot of you like to do gardening, amen? When you plant something, nobody plants because, you know what, I'm going to plant this and I know this is not going to bear any fruit, (laughs) right? When we plant something, we expect fruit. When the Holy Spirit gives us, the, 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 uh, sorry, when we got saved, the Holy Spirit gives us fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. Now, that's why I can't understand how wherever, like in all of the churches that, most of the churches that we go through, I, I can't for the love of, for, for, for the love of all that is, 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 you know, for the love of wisdom, I can't understand how you always have to teach people how to love each other. Can you imagine Preaching love everywhere we go? Well, I'm not saying don't preach love, but maybe they don't understand that it's in you already. You just have to cultivate it. You just have to let it rule in your life. If there's anyone who should know how to love, it should be the, the people that are saved. Are you still with me? To the which also ye are called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I know, I know, I get, I, I get uh, criticism about that. Do you not like preaching about love, Brother Francis? No, that's needful. But you know how Christians learn to manifest this love of God? This peace of God? If you learn more about His word. If the word of God dwells in you richly. I'll give you an example here. Do you know who John Bunyan is? John Bunyan is the writer, is the author of one book called The Pilgrim's Progress. Have you heard of that book before? Three of the world's best sellers from the time that Johannes Gutenberg's movable type printing press was created until to this day. Three of the world's best-selling copies are the King James Bible, the Pilgrim's Progress, and Fox's Book of Martyrs. Uh, John Bunyan was the author of uh, Pilgrim's Progress. In 1655, this is from a a site called greatsite.com. They are a seller of old Bibles. Um, In 1655, Bunyan became a deacon and began preaching, which marked success from the start. In 1658, he was indicted for preaching without a license, and authorities were fairly tolerant of him for a while. And he did not suffer imprisonment until November of 1660, when he was taken to the county jail in Silver Street, Bedford, and there confined 
for 12 years until January 1672. John Bunyan, a preacher, was not told to recant his faith. He was not told this, to, you know, if you deny the Lord Jesus Christ right now, we're going to chop your head off or burn you in the stake. He was not told that. He just said, hey, if you don't sign this license, if you don't allow us to give you a license to preach, we are going to imprison you. And this is John Bunyan's thought. He said, why would I ask permission from the government for me to preach when I was already given an order by the God of heaven to preach? And because of that, he was imprisoned. Now here's the problem. As John Bunyan was married with, sick, with children to support, and one I think was, was, uh, was blind, and he could have walked out of the jail a free man at any time if he simply promised to stop preaching publicly without a license, one must ask if he really did the right thing. He was not asked to deny Christ or to recant his faith as the Protestant martyrs of a, of a, of a century earlier were. Indeed, many of those around him were openly Christians who, um, who shared his faith. Bunyan was simply asked to stop preaching without a license or to move on. He wasn't, he wasn't being commanded to do something drastic. They just wanted a license. But you know what? He had that peace of God ruling in his heart. And he said, you know what? My God who commanded me to preach the gospel, that I don't need permission from the government whatsoever, is the one, the same God who's going to take care of my family. The peace of God that passeth all understanding. So, what's the difference? The peace with God has to do with our salvation, while the peace of God has to do with our daily walk. Make sense? Peace with God has to do with our standing before God, before God, we stand redeemed. We stand justified. Peace, that's why we have peace with Him. But the peace of God has to do with the state by which we conduct ourselves before men. That's what a lot of Christians don't understand. In our Christian life, we have a standing and we have a state. Our standing is we're saved forever. But sometimes we're in a state of calamity in the way we run our lives. <laughs> Do you see that? So our standing is we have peace with God. This happened so our standing could be peace with God. Amen. But sometimes our state, we don't let the peace of God rule in our lives. And last but not the least, peace with God is made possible by the work of God alone. He did every work that, that is needed to make it possible. But peace of God can only rule in your, our hearts depending on how much we let it. That's why we have things like Bible reading program. That's why we have the preaching of the Word of God. That's why we have fellowship. That's why we sing good godly songs with, with wonderful doctrine. Amen. So we can have the peace of God rule in our lives. That's the difference. Did I answer the question? Amen. Just a few salient, salient instances of peace in the Pauline epistles. We'll just read through them and then let the word of God speak by, by itself. 
Um, number one, Romans 8, verse 5 to 7. For they that are in, are in the flesh mind things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Watch this. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and what? Peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Okay? So, self-explanatory. I like this next verse over here, Romans 12, 18. <laughs> the Apostle Paul, who always got in, seemed to got, have gotten himself into a lot of trouble, he says, hey, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, Live peaceably with all men. Now, the Apostle Paul knows that because we have the peace of God within us after we got saved and we have peace with God, that we're supposed to live peaceably with men. But he also knows that there will be times when you have to defend the faith or contend for the faith. Amen. So he says, if it be possible, <laughs> as much as lieth in you, live, live peaceable with all men. Ephesians 2, 13 to 14. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Praise God, we were enemies before. But I did not use this earlier because the context is talking about the wall of partition between the Jews and the Gentiles. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and had broken down the middle wall of partition between us. So, in the Old Testament times, a Gentile like us right now, if we wanted to be close to God, if we wanted to, to, to know God, we have to put ourselves, we have to go the way of the Jews so we can know who God is. That's why in John chapter number four, God says salvation is of the Jews. And the Samaritans did not know how, you know, how to be saved. Um, but now... We don't have that problem anymore because he broke down the middle wall of partition that he said in another part, there is no difference between Jews and Gentiles right now in our dispensation. Because Jesus Christ is our peace. 1 Timothy 2 verses 1 to 2. I exhort thee therefore, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. He doesn't stop there, does he? For kings that you like and that you agree with. <laughs> no, just for kings. And for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. We don't have to agree with everything. Matter of fact, we probably don't anyway to begin with. But we can pray for people in authority. Last but not the least, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. This is for all the young people out there. Well, not just young people, everyone, I suppose. I like the word flee and follow. That will preach there. Flee and follow. Things that you need to flee and things that you need to follow. Flee also youthful lusts. Youthful lusts are so strong. You don't need to fight it. The flesh is so strong. The enemy is so strong. You don't need to fight it. Once you, once you encounter that, just flee. Well, what am I supposed to follow then, Brother Francis? I'm glad you asked. Follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, 
Watch this next verse here. With them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Choose friends that follow the same thing. Amen. Fellowship with people that follow the same thing. And then it'll be easier. Because you've surrounded with, you're surrounded with people who fight the same good fight that you're fighting. So that's the difference between the faith of God and the faith with, or sorry, uh, peace of God and peace with God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Lord, thank you, Lord, for the peace that you've given to us. Peace with God and peace of God that you've given to us as well. Help us, Father, to cultivate this, fruit, this peace that you've given to us that will bear fruit in our lives, that we would let, let it rule in our hearts by, uh, by making sure that your word is dwelling in us, dear Father. Thank you, Lord, for everyone. We, we pray again, once again, for the uh, prayer request that we mentioned earlier. And if there's anyone out there who does not have peace with God yet, we ask that today would be the day in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.